0: So, Alex, for for the folks listening at home, why the hell are we doing this? And particularly, out of all the things we could do a podcast about, why did we decide to focus on the limited partner community for this first season? Great question, Nick.
1: Um, Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, for us to
0: to talk about
1: limited partners and not pre-seed or Brooklyn or something like that seems way off brand. But focusing on something everyone else is ignoring is definitely on brand. So this season, the focus is to shed some light on the world of LPs, uh, a.k.a. limited partners, people and firms who invest in venture capital and to explore the origins of capital. In other words, where does the money come from? Uh, VCs have to raise money too. So, who do they raise it from? What are those investors' expectations? Where does their capital come from? How is it different from raising money for a company?
0: Right. 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 And, and, and we, I mean, we basically found this out the hard way having navigated the LP community over the last 18 months. And so, I guess the idea here is to try to peel back the onion a bit on what is historically a really opaque part of the startup ecosystem.
1: Right. And, you know, somebody told us that podcasts were cool, so we figured we'd do it as a podcast and to try and interview people we've met along the way uh, and some new people we don't know. Some are investors in Notation, some are not. Some actually passed on investing in Notation. That's cool. Uh, but we hope to shed some light on the institutions, the people running them, and backing VC funds, uh, and and hope that it'll be helpful for for other newer VCs like ourselves. Um, right. And and also, we think they have an interesting and valuable perspective on the startup ecosystem and and the sources of capital, um,
0: and right. and think it think it should be heard. My hope also is that. This podcast is useful and interesting for founders as well. So my hunch is that increasingly there's interest from the founder community to actually understand where the capital they're raising is coming from. You know, VCs raise capital too, and the folks that VCs raise capital from, LPs, actually have implications for founders and their companies. So my hope is that founders find this useful and um and listening and, and get and get value out of it right
1: and and maybe it explains some of the ways that vcs behave and and the pressures and expectations on right. them as well so that's the deal uh our plan is to do eight episodes this first season interview people from endowments fund of funds family offices corporations individual lps among others Uh, We hope you enjoy it. And if you have any feedback or thoughts for us, as always, you can email us at Nick at notationcapital.com or Alex at notationcapital.com.
0: Let's do this. Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. Created by Notation Capital. Sponsored by Sapphire Ventures. So podcast number one, I'm Nick Charles, uh, uh, partner at Notation Capital. Uh, I'm here with my other half. Hi, I'm Alex Lines, partner at Notation Capital. And we're super excited to have Beezer Clarkson with us on episode one, the inaugural episode. Uh, she's a managing director at Sapphire Ventures, where she manages their fund investing group. She's held senior roles at DFJ Network, Omidyar, and HP. She's been an operator, a VC, and now an LP. And in just the last few years, she's established herself as one of the most helpful LPs in the business. Uh, She's a fresh fresh perspective on the industry, um, particularly her work with OpenLP, which we'll discuss a little bit later in the episode. Um, So Beezer, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, Excited to have you.
2: Oh well, the honor is all mine. Thank you for inviting me.
0: How'd I do with my intro?
2: Oh my God, so awesome!
0: Okay, great. <laughs> so awesome. My um, blushing. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll run it back uh, a number of years, back to the uh, to the rolling hills of Wesleyan University. Um, uh, I assume the dream was always to become a limited partner in venture capital funds. Correct. Correct. Okay, good. First Um, days
2: of freshman year.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So you were a government major. How did you go from a government major at Wesleyan Liberal Arts School to uh, ultimately um, an operator at HP and and a VC at Omidyar and and now Sapphire?
2: Well, it's a great question, and uh, I would say as a preface... One of the questions you hear a lot is, is there a particular background to be a venture capitalist? And I, I don't know if there is only one. I think the examples show that there aren't, and it's varied. And I think the same is true from an LP, or at least I would like to believe that is true, because I think the arc of my career is somewhat unusual. But I think in a true liberal arts fashion, I've always pursued that which I find interesting, and I believe I can have an impact and be helpful with. And the right. intersection of the two right. has always been attractive. So
0: I think you've said that this is... Uh, this finally makes sense of your career. Correct. I've heard you say in the past. Yes.
2: No, it's a hundred percent true, and it, it did take me twenty plus years to get all the parts to gel. But I am ever grateful that they have. And so, uh, to answer your first question, uh, when I left Wesleyan, I became an investment banker, which was my entree into financial services. Right but was not my ultimate calling, and left and moved to San Francisco where I became deeply enamored and inspired by technology. And I was there in 96, 97, where you didn't really have to do much to appreciate the, the power of what was right. happening. And that really caught my interest and never let it go. And so over that time, I then moved to different career spots by answering different questions about how does technology work in New York, where I became was part of one of the first VC slash incubators and that the, was with... Launch Center 39, which Albert Wenger was... With Albert Vanger. Was one of the founders right. of, He's Who's yes. now a
0: partner at Union Square Ventures.
2: Yes. So I was very, very lucky to work with him back then right. in the early 2000s. Um, and then I had questions around how the software and the hardware was actually made and spent five years at Hewlett Packard working on software business development to help answer that question. And then I moved back into the investing side of things and spent time at a mid-year network at which point, the way their investing team worked, and I was on that, your goals were to invest both in a direct venture capital manner, in a LP way, in funds, and then also nonprofit grants. And that was my first entree into the LP side of the house.
0: And when we say direct, we're talking about uh, investing as a, as a venture capitalist would into startups. Correct. So you did both direct investing as a VC. Uh, investing in funds as an LP at Omidyar Correct. and investing in nonprofits.
2: Correct. Every wow. year we okay. had to write three different kinds of checks, for lack of a better word of saying, way of saying it. And It was an amazing experience to understand the different kinds of organizations you're investing in and the different way that capital can be used to help uh, expand and grow businesses in different ways and just the fluidity of that. Um, so it was a fantastic experience. And then went on from there to DFJ to work on the network I was there for about five years and the DFJ network back then was expanding globally aggressively. So I got to look at and help form VCs around the world as well as domestically, which again is a experience and what does it take to bring a fund together and to launch it and to help it expand and grow. is was just an unbelievable experience and, and working in that team was, well, it's just like no other. I mean, it's a pretty incredible place to have been.
0: So, Sapphire Ventures has been around for how many years now?
2: Sapphire relatively
0: Ventures. Relatively
2: new. Well, Sapphire in the current iteration is relatively right. new. It was, what I think you're referring to is, it was launched in 2011 right. with a legacy that came back from being SAP Ventures on balance sheet, but has been independent as its own firm since 2011. And been we have two vehicles. We have a growth fund that's been investing and has actually pulls on a 20-year history, the vehicle that i came on to manage which is the so vehicle.
0: growth fund as in there's a a part of sapphire ventures that's mainly just dedicated to investing in growth companies as a vc
2: correct we of run that. two funds we have a 650 million dollar fund that we are currently managing that invests directly into companies technology companies at the expansion stage and we look
0: that are strategic to sap in some way
2: Not in an explicit way that you're thinking of. It's not an adjacency investing. The focus of the growth team is to invest in leading next generation strong companies that are doing incredible things, and if that should that should therefore also be of interest to SAP. But the primary focus is on the quality of the company in and of itself and what it is doing and its potential, and that everything follows from that goal. And that's that's one vehicle with a dedicated team. And then we have a separate vehicle that invests in early stage venture funds, and that was launched in 2012, and that is what I joined the Sapphire Ventures team to help run and manage. So it's two separate vehicles all together with different structures and focuses.
0: So Sapphire Ventures has, been, has only been an LP in venture funds for a few years, for four years. Correct. So relatively new, and you helped launch that business. Um, What was the reason to to start building that business?
2: Well, the impetus is is twofold. On one hand, there is an interest in the how do you work and connect with the early stage community. The growth fund was not going to move and start doing seed and series A investments, yet it's a really incredibly vital and exciting portion of the ecosystem. So the team was thinking of how to approach it, and the thought was to take a somewhat different view and become an LP. That worked well for me personally because that's what I wanted to do. So that's how I ended up there. But the the impetus for the vehicle started before I joined. It started with the team that was already there. And the idea was how do you connect with the early stage ecosystem in a way that is impactful, thoughtful, useful, has financial return objectives. And then when the team approached me to join them, it was too attractive to say no.
0: Right. What what do you... Um, what have you enjoyed most about being an LP compared to your background in uh, as an as an operator in a VC?
2: For me, being an LP lets me pull on all parts of everything I've done. So from a very selfish standpoint, it allows me to bring all the aspects, the macro and the micro, the global perspectives, the regional, the financial, as well as the interpersonal and the human. There's also elements of business development and connectivity, like what can I do to personally be helpful, both in an advisory capacity is also one of the things Sapphire Ventures does, which I think is unique, although I hope more people will think about some of these at different aspects, is we have a third team that we call the market development team, and they're they're part of the Sapphire Ventures team. Their sole focus is delivering value-add to our direct investments and our indirect, so to our GPs and to our underlying portfolio companies.
0: GPs being synonymous with VCs.
2: Correct. As in the
0: general partners of the venture firms that you work with.
2: Correct. So the idea is the market development team puts together a whole host of business development connections, some of which are useful for the entrepreneurs, some of which are useful for the VCs themselves. They host events. They create... Areas for collaboration and thought sharing around innovative ideas, you know, next generation IoT, next generation questions from the CRO, like all sorts of manner of engagements, and their whole purpose is to be in service of our investments. So part of my, so I so as a per, as an LP, I get to play in this area, which is just really new and novel and exciting. And then what always makes it the part that matters is the engagement with the other people. And in this case, it is for me the VCs. In their companies. I spend less time with the underlying portfolio. I spend most of my time with the managers themselves. But that's what makes it awesome. Hmm. It's very similar to the focus of a venture capitalist, right? It's the people. <clears throat> and it's I think the similarities between LP and a GP are extraordinarily strong and it's it's always about the people.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's that's also related. So so you listed a bunch of ways that, that you work with GPs and the underlying po- companies to help them. I think one of the questions that that comes up a lot for us, and and in conversations with other people, is 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 a little existential. And can can investors add value? You know, whether it's at the VC level or or at the LP level. Um, and we work hard every day to do so. But I don't know. Can you talk? So you've listed some of the specific ways you work with with GPs and funds. But what do you see as the way that 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 Sapphire can add a lot of value for for funds on their sort of like day-to-day basis.
2: Well, we do believe that one can add value and one should always strive to add value. Right. Right. The it has to there has to be an engagement point. So if people don't want your help, it it is a challenge. Yes. As an an LP
0: in VC funds.
2: Well as a as an investor, period. But to make it personal about the LP side of our house, yes. I think GPs can also add value, but we'll just make it focused on the LP vehicle. We think there's actually multiple facets of how we add value. And some of it is the more traditional how an LP engages with a GP around providing advice at the firm level, Uh right? How you think through what the venture firm is doing and how it is managed and what advice we can provide or insight into industry best practices introductions we might be able to make to other LPs. I consider it our responsibility as a funds LP to know other LPs that are both invested in them and elsewhere to help make sure we're connecting all the dots that could be useful for them. There's also things that then happen at the portfolio company level that we also take very seriously and think it's part of our responsibility, and these are the business development connections. How do we help situate these companies to be in conversations that are additive to them, be it a thought you know, sort of thought-sharing idea. Maybe it's an innovation summit, or maybe it's just you two companies are thinking about something and there's a collaboration there. Can we help bring people together? That This is why we have a dedicated team and why we spend time internally assessing how we're doing on that metric. We also think there's things that um, we can do as far as also just helping companies think through their own ramp and are there. We've hosted dinners where uh, some of our companies in the growth fund that are more established and mature, their CROs will then chat with folks who are coming up and have questions. And there's sort of inter-company connections that happen, which are really just about how do I do my job, business skill building. And we think that's, given our universe, we can sit with. And the, the obvious is always the customer introductions. And given we walk the talk and we try to leverage in a positive way as possible for both sides our LP and our LP affords. Who is
0: who us, is, is SAP? Which is SAP. So so you have one investor SAP across all your funds.
2: Correct. Okay. And so what we look at and we say, if we believe LPs can be of value, we're gonna walk that talk ourselves. And our LP happens to be a global enterprise software firm that talks to the Fortune 1000 on a daily basis. And so we look through, and this is what our market development team focuses on, how do we then put that in service of our portfolio? So we are helping to drive those conversations and making relevant business introductions that we've curated so that the companies that we're introducing to each other have similar business discussions to be had and, mm-hmm. and there's gonna be a real value to that yeah. discussion.
0: Do you think you're a better, do you think the fund investing group which you manage Is better at what you do as an LP because you are a part of the same. uh, uh, You're part of the same overall fund as the as the venture fund.
2: We're part of the same overall firm, Firm. not the same overall fund. Right, right,
0: right. So it is separate funds. I'm
2: clarifying that because there's some very important times where there's a separation of church and state that's critical. Our GPS would not necessarily want our growth team having all the information that we have. Right. So we keep those things very separate, and we have two separate investment committees. So the folks that are voting on the, making the growth investments do not vote on the fund investments and vice versa. So with that, ground rules yeah. established.
0: Um, so in terms of information sharing, there is there are certain places where the VCs that you work with would obviously be uncomfortable sharing information with the VCs at Sapphire Ventures.
2: We believe that we should be, that GP right. should be in choice. Right, So, yeah, so we. Right. we separate it, but one of the reasons that we do like, and to answer your question, we do think there is value to be had in having this collective within the firm, is that since we focus on early stage, and by that we mean predominantly a series A exposure with some seed, most of our GPs and our VCs are really happy to have the growth fund as a thought partner to share ideas with, to send companies to, to collaborate with, and that synergy is just very friendly because of how we've focused our work. One can certainly do it a myriad of other ways. This is just how we have chosen to go to market. Um, So to answer your question, we think there's value, and we drive a lot of value. I personally become a more thoughtful investor by listening to the growth team and how they think about the metrics they care about in a company, and vice versa. But to fully answer your question, you would have to go talk to our GPs Mm. and see if they experience the value that we experience.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, so you raised four hundred and forty million dollars, I believe, for the fund investing group in two thousand eleven. Uh, so you have this new fund; you're managing a new fund. Uh, where did you start? Where, where, where was? You know, how did you get going?
2: So I'm going to correct your numbers first because our numbers sure. are our numbers are more are unusual in ways that are useful but it just makes it awkward. We raised 408 million, but what we did is we structured it in a very specific way. When we raised it, we were thinking, if you are a GP, what do you want from your LP? And you want it as long-term capital as possible. You would like to believe that your LP is going to have capital when you want it. They may choose to or not to invest, but you want them to be in choice. Right. So
0: when and we And just to just to Uh, Clarify that a bit. I mean, as VCs, particularly new fund managers, Alex, myself, we obviously want to find investors that have very long time horizons and have the capital to support us over many funds. Ideally, yes, yes.
2: So we start with first principles in mind, which makes so we created a vehicle that says, "All right, we want to have." An eight to ten year investing term, which is right off the bat atypical. But that's so so we can look ahead with our managers.
0: What is what is typical for, for many LPs in terms of you, fund life?
2: Most most LPs when I talk to them, they think in two to four year increments. Okay.
0: And that's because they're, the VCs that they're investing in are thinking in two- to four-year fund cycles?
2: The industry sort of moves right. on that, and you can create a synthetic, call it three- to four-year investing term, even if you are an endowment or a pension and don't have the same uh, fundraising nature that a managed asset LP would have. But people need some way of checking in and saying, how's it going? And since funds also raise on a certain time horizon, the LP wants to think about that and be in relation. But we said, listen, we want to make sure we have capital for a long time. And we wrote into the terms of our vehicle the ability to both recycle and have overage. So the 400 plus million actually becomes closer to 500 million. So that's why our numbers, they're just, we're just different. And I enjoy our difference, but it does make it awkward to put into a simple good marketing pitch. It is what it is. We're right. just different and we right. like
0: different. And different as in you're kind of like a fund of funds. Would typically speaking, but because you have a sole j p or a sole l p, which is s a p, and because you have this very long time horizon, you look and feel a, lot, a little different
2: technically, and we are not a fund of funds right. we I know get this question all the now. time. So thank now. you for asking it. We get the question all the time, and we we celebrate that. um, but we're we're not because of the things that you mentioned. We have. There is no term that I have found that is great for what we are. We are a vehicle that invests in early-stage funds. We are technically a hybrid LLC because we also have the capacity to do direct co-investing with our GPs. We do that very judiciously. But we created a vehicle that we thought would be an attractive long-term capital vehicle to invest in early-stage venture funds. And I lack the marketing capabilities to find a great word for it. But it's not a fund of funds given how we've structured it. And given our LP base. Right. Best I got for you is we're long-term capital that is right. dedicated to this asset class.
0: Which is in some ways, I mean I know you're probably gonna hate this comparison, but in some ways, like uh, an endowment or some other firm that has a very, very, very long time horizon, which is typically why VCs we've learned like to work with, you know, endowments or large or large institutions that uh, that are going to support them over decades, rather than mm-hmm. the two to four-year cycle.
2: Well, one of the terms people ask me is if it's accurate. Is are we a quasi-endowment? I don't know if the answer is yes, but maybe. Right. So I, I don't hate your analogy. Okay. I have a lot wow. of respect wow. for the work you very rare. Do.
0: <laughs> Alex. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> so you raised, let's say, approximately four to five hundred million dollars in two thousand eleven. Um, Many of I ask where did you start because many of the more established firms that have been around for decades like Sequoia or Kleiner or you know Graylock whoever else um, as an as a new LP uh, very difficult to invest in those funds because you know everybody's wanted to invest in those funds for decades and they typically aren't taking new investors so. So where do you where do you start given that you can't you know typically invest in those in the sequoias of the world?
2: We so we launched in two thousand and twelve. We were doing paperwork and raising in two thousand and eleven. So not that makes probably a big difference, but we're, our birth date was August two thousand and twelve. And yes, that is you're one hundred percent accurate. That when everybody has heard of a fund and they have a wait list twenty years long, the getting on that and off that wait list is tricky to say right. the least. So we still aspire, but when we started out, we worked with this probably the same kinds of funds that any other LP starting out did, and that would be a healthy mix of what's called emerging managers, people vintages one through four, or folks for whatever reason that might have a, considered more established but are having some transition in their LP base. There are reasons why LPs come in and out of funds that are not necessarily a negative towards the GP at Such all. Such as? Sometimes there's, I know it sounds a little bit uh, odd, but there's mergers amongst LPs. If you have Hmm. banks or insurance companies or people that are actual firms and entities, sometimes there is activity amongst them and that can change. There's been a whole bunch of laws that have shifted in the banking industry and that's shifted how people go to market as an LP to respond to some of those acts. Sometimes people move their programs at endowments and pensions, and it's because of the nature of what they need to do in their right. own entity. It's got nothing and to so do with venture. And
0: decide, so they decide they want to invest in less venture capital and more Correct. private equity or whatever else. Correct. Right.
2: Sometimes funds are also going through their own management transition. And when there are new GPs taking over or coming in or whatever it is that's happening, they sometimes want to bring in LPs that they know. So while we were a new LP on the block in 2012, I had certainly known a number of funds also for the last mm. 15 years that I've been in venture. So I had established relationships we could also work with. So we have, you know, we do probably trend towards some of the, we probably have fewer funds that are on vintage, you know, 8, 9, and 10, and more in the earlier numbers.
0: Vintage meaning they're on their 10th fund Correct. versus their second fund.
2: Correct. Right. We sort of probably do tend earlier on the number scale. We also think there's just a lot of interesting new activity going on, so it all worked It all worked together in pretty good harmony. We also, for the, for the extent that it's helpful, launched simultaneously in investing in U.S., Europe, and Israel. So we cover those three geographies, and we, I'd have to go back to see if it was all within the first, you know, 18, 24 months, but we made investments in all three of those geographies.
1: How does your, how does your geography break down in the U.S., in we terms are, of your, your sort of initial focus and then where you're actually deployed now?
2: Uh, we we initially started in the Bay Area be, because it was where we were and Proximity made that facilitated. We have expanded to include New York and LA and are constantly considering other regions, mm. but we've yet to make commitments to other regions.
0: So you're just getting going in 2012. Uh, how do you begin to evaluate some of the newer VCs that you're thinking about investing in? Um, both as a firm and as uh, individuals or managers themselves?
2: There's a couple different lenses that we use, and I I don't think it differs between newer managers and more established managers. There is a whole set of questions we ask that I could simply state as the why you, right? right? Why you the team, why you your focus, why you your particular firm and how you want to be engaged with your entrepreneurs the whole stack of that answer right form following function and that's very much the the focus on the firm and that's true for established managers as well as emerging and then there's a set of questions we ask around the ecosystem that one is playing in what's going on there where is the capitalization where is the type of what is the type of technology that is seems to be emerging what's the type of entrepreneur that seems to be there And it's the intersection of the answers out of both of those that give rise to when we get really excited about something.
1: There is so much that's related to trust because there are a lot of questions you can ask and people, so there is an expectation of what the answer should be. And so how do you evaluate trust in a a new-ish relationship?
2: This goes to the, a lot of times you'll hear LPs saying, I would like to spend a cycle or two getting to Mm -hmm. know a manager because understanding how people just live their lives is the best way, in my opinion, right. of having trust. And it's just through experience. The good or bad of it is it's not, and it's infrequent that you get time to get to know a manager over one or two fund cycles because that is three to six years. Right. Just just throwing it out there. Maybe right. two to four if you're speedy, speedy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's actually, that's not how the market works many, many times, so you are making decisions with less information, which, has the challenges in it that you think that it would right
0: what are the things so you make a commitment to a new venture firm with the understanding that you might be working with them for a decade, and many Lps will typically invest in a first fund or a second fund with the idea that they'll invest in multiple funds with that firm over time. what are the things that would that would encourage you to say? We gave that a shot, but not the right venture from firm or or manager for us, and we're gonna go elsewhere.
2: Sometimes there are, and I'm just gonna speak broadly in the uh, ecosystem wide, because I can pull more examples. Sometimes, the really big things happen, like managers break up. Mm. Right. Right. And that can be that can still mean you stay with the firm, right? Because they'll. Some managers will leave, and parts of the GP will leave, and people will join. But sometimes that could run sideways with the criteria an LP has. Some LPs just don't do single GPs or whatever it is. So sometimes there will be a change in the entity itself, and that will force a change in the LP side. Sometimes a firm will move into a new direction, be it we've gone from, I'm making this up, $100 million fund, and we will now want to be a $300 million right, or a $500 right. million, and that <clears throat> will also bounce into a different area of an LP's portfolio, which may or may not force decisions. Sometimes there is expansion in scope as far as sectors, and that can run sideways with a portfolio construction of an LP. So sometimes, I guess what I'm putting out there are, there are examples where it's really just the natural progression, and it's not a, I think you're a bad investor, or this LP is voting against it. It's just saying, this no longer fits into what we're doing the same way a company will come to you and say, we're raising Series C, and you're like, that's awesome, but we're pre-seed.
0: What if, what if you do think they're a bad investor?
2: What one if, you know,
0: like what if say. a couple yeah. years in you're like, oof, man, these, <laughs> 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 these VCs that we've backed, they're not that good.
2: Well, I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but one would like to think that was not, you know, you didn't talk for three years and then suddenly showed up and said, woo what are these numbers, right? Right, right. (laughs) But there was, I mean, this is part of why GPs and LPs, there is encouragement to to make sure there's transparency so that people can track. And if there's questions, raise them early and say, how is it going and how do you you shift things? People do have bad runs. It, It does happen. Every fund, I will posit that even the greatest managers have some funds which are just less interesting than others because whatever happens, right, a myriad of things can occur, the least of which is terrible macroeconomic circumstances. Right. So that alone wouldn't be sufficient necessarily to, for an LP to jump away, but it's the quality of the dialogue that helps you understand what's going on.
1: Right, and, and, and given how early um, some of these funds are, it can take a long time to know how well things are going. So if someone comes back in even three years, it can still, it's, there's still a reasonable argument to say it's too early to really know what you the performance is going to look like. I mean, if you have a close dialogue, you'll have a strong feeling, but ultimately the outcomes are much further down the road.
2: You know, this is why people say you're essentially signing up for two to three funds, because assuming a two-and-a-half-year investing time horizon, three years out, if you're investing in a pre-seed company, it's, it's still right. in kindergarten. Yeah. Right. And maybe it's been some sort of explosive growth, and there are some amazing Mm -hmm. rich uh, data to look at. But on average, no. So you don't know, and that's why you you're not going to know for five to seven years. I mean, it's it's actually way down the road. Right. The LP side of the business is an incredibly long term horizon business.
0: Right. How do you do diligence? How do you figure out you know if uh, a VC is any good or If founders want to work with them or, I mean, how do you like filter through that stuff?
2: I think everybody probably has their own preferred method of diligence. I think where Sapphire has sort of resonates too is on one hand, we like to do a lot of the numerical side when that sort of speaks to the portfolio construction and understanding the capital flows in the market. And then we do a lot of what I consider our version of the walking around and just, experiencing what the managers are experiencing and this takes us out into the different geographies a fair bit so we're on the road with some regularity because I want to see what you're seeing and I can't appreciate when you say things are changing or they're not changing and this is the quality of the entrepreneur and what the entrepreneur looks like if I don't go and meet them and I can't do that from my office so I I'm in my office way less frequently than than one would think because for that very purpose at least that's how I think we make very informed decisions and it's I, I don't know how to beat that.
0: Do you, you spend a lot of time with founders of startups as well?
2: We would like to. We yeah. certainly we certainly appreciate meeting the, the entrepreneurs and seeing their work and seeing their companies. Because again, it rounds out what the GP is saying and what they're seeing. And when they're saying this company is doing something really different, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the numbers are always important. But there's also a quality to meeting the people and hearing what they're saying. And I need both sides. Our Our team enjoys having both sides. And also that's where this goes back to how we particularly add value. We add the best value when I understand that because yeah. then later on when I'm talking to some other Fortune 100 executive and they say, we're challenged with this problem, I can reference much better within our portfolio as to who the right connection point is. And our and our team in general, I'm making it personal about me, but our team in general does this. And without the quality of that interaction, the references aren't as good, right? Yeah. We can't make the right same kind of introductions and connection points
1: how do you think about references because i mean we we think about this question a lot too where you know it's part of our diligence with founders and we'll make a number of reference calls but at some point it it stops at add, adding information i think
2: it's an excellent question i think Gathering, I don't think whenever wants to stop gathering information. I mean, in some ways, you could say every interaction is a kind of reference point on a two-way road. Right, the GP referencing the LP as well. How do we show up every day? But from a, how many phone calls do we make before we make an initial investment decision? Is that the more the hardest? I guess.
1: Of how do you after you've made a lot of reference calls, you're going to have a fair amount of conflicting information. So how do you sort through that?
2: Well, I'd say there usually are some consistent themes. Right. Right. right on the on all sides of aspects right. so, so basically
1: people, you, you continue you do believe that it continues to add information as you as you keep adding the number they're, that they're, you've checked
2: usually you run out of time at some right. point you have right. to make an investment decision so you stop because that's the nature of the business um, but yes over the arc of working with a GP you constantly take in information because people grow and change throughout their lives and you you would want to stay right. receptive right. to that right um, but from an initial investment decision, you, we have found in our experience, there's usually pretty clear themes that come up, and it's because people are consistent. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean to say every reference has to be glowing, that the person has the Midas touch, and they are you know, the most benevolent, kind, fill-in-the-blank person. The point what we're listening for is, what is the connection between the kind of investing they do and the entrepreneur? And that can actually have incredible different qualities to it. And it's not always the benevolent, kind, thoughtful person. Sure. It's, it's all different nature to that. And that's fine, right? A lot of people that are very opinionated and intelligent will rub people the wrong way, or some people. And that definitely comes up in references on a whole range of folks. That in of itself is an off-putting. It's understanding why people still choose to take money from them, or if the nature of their UI is going to turn off so many people mm-hmm. that their pool of deal flow is significantly hampered. But you, it also depends on what kind of fund they're constructing. They might only need 10 investments. Right. Right? Versus 100. So it. But they can no piss simple...
0: everybody else off, but those two. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so great segue. I will add, after you answer that question, I'll also add, do you think it's important for founders to understand who the LPs are? Sure.
2: So my experience is most people don't know what an LP is, and that's sometimes because they haven't had the time, because running a company is incredibly time-intensive business, to think through how the venture ecosystem that is investing in them works. And that leads you to the question of who is the LP. So if you haven't asked the question at all, like why would you know about a specific point on the other side? Um, So usually our go-to-market on that is depending on the relationship, we'll either have the GP explain as part of the introduction, Mm -hmm. or we explain. It sort of depends on who makes more sense to do the introduction. Usually when you come at it with the we're investing in the people Essentially, the money that we're investing in this fund is going to end up in your company. People get the relevancy right away. The nice thing is it's pretty linear.
0: Right. VCs don't just magically have money. They usually get that money from someone.
2: If you find the money tree, let me know where it's located. (laughs) Right. Right. And we will all pluck the fruits of his labor. Vice versa. And the other thing is, which I've found, and maybe this is part of what's interesting you all to do this podcast is there's a lot of questions the founders have about the venture ecosystem. And the LP perspective is just a different sort of turn of the Rubik's Cube on what the GP perspective is. So a lot of times we end up having really great relationships because they can ask questions back. And we really welcome that because we learn more in the discussions, right? Right.
0: So you recently launched something called OpenLP, which uh, we're big believers of. and, and, and generally, I think you've probably been much more open, transparent, and available than most of the LP community, um, uh, particularly um, for, uh, for newer emerging VCs. Um, could you tell us a little bit about LP, uh, OpenLP and why you started it, and also why you've, um, why you've positioned yourself as kind of more public and transparent than some of the other... LPs in the ecosystem.
2: Sure. Well, we believe um, that the, there's power in, simpli- in simplicity and first principles. And when we get asked a question repeatedly, I make the logical leap of faith that many people have the same question. Maybe this is also part of why you started this podcast. Right. But we consistently had questions similar to the what's an LP? How does it work? Why do they exist? <laughs>
0: Why Unwise. are they so s- s- the secret weird why, community? Why, why, why is it a challenge? Yeah.
2: right Why there is it a challenge they? for
1: some LPS to be open? So yes, more open.
2: And so we said, well we know folks that are out there who are fantastic LPS and some of them are findable on Twitter or have po- or have this is the first podcast I know of, but maybe they have blogs and there's not, unfortunately as many as I would like there to be. So we said, hey, why don't we aggregate it? We would like to just help amplify the voices and create, so it's it's all very simple. Open LP is an incredibly simple concept. It's a hashtag, so that way as LPs tweet, we can just put it all in one place so people can go and read it, versus saying, who are the LPs that tweet? And, and then find you, LPs.
0: So for for newer VCs that are listening to this, you can go on Twitter, search for hashtag OpenLP, and there they are. And
2: there it is. Right. And if you want to, if you see something that sort of is a loosely speaking, a venture ecosystem discussion, hashtag it and pull it in. And then what we've done is we have the website, openlp.com, where where we see blog posts or articles written by LPs. We just link to it. Again, it's super simple first principle. Make it findable. Because I get asked a fair bit, who else is writing about this? We try to do our part. But we're just one voice of many, and we want there to be many more voices. If you... We look at the venture ecosystem and we say, what is there to learn from it? And I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, there was no VCs. There was a precious few, I should say. VCs blogging, tweeting. And you watch this incredible transparency wave come over the industry and the interconnectedness between the entrepreneurs and the VCs really evolve and the nature of the founder friendliness evolve as the discourse evolved. We just think it's the obvious next step that it's going to happen in the LP community. And why not do what we can to be additive to that? It, it just seems to me like such a no-brainer that...
0: Oh, Amen. All right. Why, why don't why don't you think historically more LPs have marketed themselves?
2: Well, there's some structural challenges. And you've heard me probably dancing around a lot of them in this podcast. The first and foremost is in the LPA, which is the document that governs the LP and GP agreement. Almost every single LPA I've ever seen... Which is kind of like
0: a... You know, the equivalent of a stock purchase agreement or something. Or between firm term sheet, right, kind of, between, between the, entrepreneur and the entrepreneur and the a VC. Yeah.
2: It says, you, Mr. and Mrs. LP, may not disclose you are an investor in my fund. So from day one, LPs are said, mm. do not name me as, you know, the GPs do not want you to name them, do not want you to name that you're invested in these funds. And you can get permission to Why do so. Why is that? You'll have to ask the GPs. Right, right. <laughs> not, not my term. Right. But we respect it. Right but right. we respect it. So So
0: you're saying te- in a lot of LPs the
2: standard template language mm. says you cannot disclose that you're an investor in this fund unless you've gotten permission from the GP which is fine you know but so it's very different from the nature of almost every single TechCrunch article when it talks about a company lists all the different right but you notice that you you less significantly less frequently know who the LPs are in the in the funds and that's because of this term in the contract.
0: Why is that though? Because you think that you know Think of a very prominent LP investor. Let's say it's Yale University. You'd think that the VC, whoever it is, would be actually quite thrilled to tell the market, to tell founders, to tell other people that, hey, you know, we're backed by Yale.
2: Well, it doesn't. It doesn't or work. some
0: other. You know, uh, source of capital that they feel good about. (laughs) Sapphire metrics. Yes,
2: it doesn't preclude you. It just means you have to get permission. So my assumption is it was a term that came into play at some point in time, like most contractual terms, and it's never been taken out because you can always you can always get permission around it, but you have to do it in a fund by fund basis. Because there's, be mindful when you when you engage with a firm, you want to be there for many many funds, but each fund has its own LPA. So this this is structural reason. The other is for entities like ourselves who are registered with the SEC, there's a whole other level of things, like you actually can't do marketing. And you're told not to cherry pick and talk about one investment versus others. And the rules are you either talk about all your investments or none. So some LPs do go down the path of getting permission and putting all their GP's names up. Right. But it's... And there are some there are LP some.
0: firms where I've seen their websites and the lists of funds that they work with. Correct, right. so you can but they're rare.
2: But it's it's less yeah. it's, it's less prevalent, um, and so part of it is there are just things in the nature of that. So we've so those are some things that are out there, and I just think it's also not been a it's not been typical.
0: Right? Do you think as so? Let me ask you a question. Do you think as VC firms grow up much quicker than maybe they have historically, and it's more com- competitive amongst the LP community to work with certain VCs? Do you think that will be a greater impetus to get people, to get LPs to start marketing themselves in a way that maybe they haven't historically?
2: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. It's possible. It's certainly possible. I don't know. I guess the question I would have is part of that statement is, is it more competitive to get into great funds today than before? I don't know. I would posit it's probably always competitive to Mm -hmm. get it. Like great deals. Great deals are always competitive. Are there more? Because the other side of that question presumes there are more LPs in the market today than there were before. I do think there is. The sources of capital are constantly diversifying, so on that level, possibly true, but hard to hard to judge. the The challenge is some of these some of these answers are unknowable because there is no way for me to go out there and find out for you everyone who is an LP and all the pools of capital because it's from it's it's global now. Everything right. from individuals that play to entities that are non-U.S. based—you've never heard of, but could be really significant LPs because right. they command significant chunks of money. And that would be
0: like sovereign wealth funds and some, of those or
2: major funds. non-U.S. entities, corporations growing up in other countries mm-hmm. that are now, you know, ten years old and are interested in playing in this game and didn't exist fifteen years ago, so they weren't LPs back then. I mean, the world's kind of constantly shifting on that level.
0: Thank you so much. Thank this has been fantastic. Uh we will have to have you on again for season two and winter. Of course. Okay, thanks so much.
1: This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. We'd like to thank our friend Sapphire Ventures for sponsoring this debut series. Sapphire Ventures is a global venture capital firm that invests in growth-stage technology companies as well as early-stage venture firms across the technology landscape. Sapphire Ventures shares our desire to bring transparency and candor to the venture ecosystem. We're very grateful to be collaborating with them on this project. We'd also like to thank Ben Glauwe, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Finally, we'd also like to thank our friends at Mattermark who are helping us with distribution and make an amazing product. You should try it, mattermark.com.